to turn with me in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2. We're looking at verses 10 through 16. It's a, a difficult section of Malachi, a very hard word, uh, but one that is important and one that we should not skip over. Malachi chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 10 through 16. This is God's Word. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who hates and divorces, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and humbly seek your grace that we might understand what you would have us know. That you would teach us to guard ourselves and our spirits. To not be faithless. To not offer idolatrous sacrifices. Help us to do this, Lord, even if it means we need to hear from you words of conviction. That we might turn from whatever idols we might be tempted to serve and be restored to you, our God and our King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God created the family for good and holy purposes. But when you look around, what do you see in the family? You might wonder if that is really true. Did God really create the family for good and for holy purposes? And we don't have to look out there in the world where there are articles celebrating the latest celebrity divorce. Where there is brokenness and misery. There is enough brokenness and grief and trouble for the family in the church itself. What are we to make of this? What are we to do with that? 
This isn't anything new. Israel in Malachi's day and in many days before that struggled deeply with something very, very similar to the struggles we see in the family today. And yet, God did not let that go without a word. He sent the prophet Malachi who preached that God's intentions for the family have not changed since he made it. They remain the same. He intends for good to be at work in the families of the earth. And he hasn't stopped just because sin has entered the world, just because brokenness infects everything, just because selfishness and idolatry run rampant. God has not stopped this good and holy purpose. God still is at work in the family to see his intentions and his purposes fulfilled. So we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to ask three questions. What are God's purposes for the family? Why does it seem to have all gone wrong? And what hope do we have that things will get better? What are God's purposes for the family? Why does it seem that it has all gone sideways? And what hope do we have that it will get better? So let's dive in. What are God's purposes for the family. I mean, if, you, if you've ever been in a family, and if you are a person, you have a family of some sort, you've, you've probably felt this, that something's off, something's wrong, even in the best of families, something's not always right. But do we know what it is? Do we know what the family's even for? When we try to think about what's gone wrong, we can't really do that rightly unless we stop and consider what God's intentions, what God's design, what God's purposes are behind that. This is exactly what Malachi does in verse 10. He points uh, the people's attention to who God is. Is God not our Father? Is he not our creator? And it's interesting that he should call attention to these aspects of who God is. It's been said by many pastors that that God wasn't always creator. There was a time before God created, but God has always been father. That relational characteristic of love and unity, beauty and truth has always been a part of God's triune nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we should not be surprised that when He created, His good creation reflected who He is. We should not be surprised that those made in his image should also reflect the beauty, the goodness of God's nature and character. And so when he created the family, 
When he said it's not good that man should be alone, he made wife for him. He's revealing that it, in his design, he is calling us to reflect in our relationships, in our families, in our interactions with one another, the beauty and the holiness and the goodness of who he is in his relationships within the triune person, within the triune nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet, from the earliest of days, we've gone against that. We've questioned God's wisdom. We've questioned God's design. We've questioned God's purposes. We've thought that we could be like God. And we can decide. And we can seek our own purposes in all sorts of things. Even in the family. But God intends better things. Which is why, even from the beginning, when he created man and woman, and they were united as husband and wife, he said, therefore, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And in that unity, God himself was active. Malachi reminds the people of this. Did he not make them one? was not a human innovation. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? That, that one flesh union that is announced in Genesis, that Jesus rebukes the Pharisees with in Matthew, that Malachi points back to, it's, it's not merely a physical union. It's not just a social or relational union. There is a deep spiritual union that is only truly possible with the Spirit of God Himself as it were. Why did He do all this? Why did He design the family and build the family and, 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 and even empower the, the beauty and the goodness and the unity of the family with His Spirit? What was God seeking? Malachi tells us in verse 15, godly offspring. What does that even mean? You might remember, if you've read Genesis chapter 1, that God commanded man and woman, made in his image, to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and subdue it. There was, before the fall, this high and holy calling humanity, made in his image, the, the image of the great king of the universe, to fill the world not with statues honoring God, but with people who reflect his glory and his majesty so that the whole earth would testify to the glory and majesty of the king. And when Adam and Eve thought that they knew better, when they broke covenant with God and went their own way, that image was marred, tainted and corrupted. God's purposes to see His goodness and His truth and His beauty to fill the earth hasn't been thwarted because of sin. 
and the rebellion of humanity. Even in Jesus' great commission to the church, he gives us that same call. Go out into the whole world and make disciples of every nation, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is, even in the wake of the fall, God the creator of this good world working as redeemer to redeem it and restore it to his purposes, to bring people back into fellowship and relationship with him, back into his church, back into obedience, to be restored to that high and holy calling to fill the earth with his goodness and his beauty, his truth, his righteousness. And so it's not insignificant that we find throughout the New Testament these announcements that in Christ we are adopted into the family and household of God. That He is making new that which is old and decrepit. That He is redeeming and restoring that which has rebelled, that which has been polluted which has been corrupted. And that is a testimony that God hasn't stopped working through the family, but is still working through his family. Most significantly, his family, the church, the household of faith, but also yours. Wherever his name is held high. But the reason he's doing this The reason he called Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. The reason Jesus sends his disciples out to declare the good news to all the nations. The reason God wants to see his image restored and renewed, filling the earth, is because he is at work raising up worshipers for himself that his glory and goodness might be announced. And God is still at work in the family to raise up worshipers of the living God. So why does it all seem to have just gone completely sideways? Why does it seem to have all gone wrong? Why is the family so fragile and broken? If I had to answer it in a single word, it would be sin. We're sinners. We inherited that horrible, detestable, and gross benefit from our father Adam and our mother Eve. And it has corrupted and tainted all of us everywhere, in all of time and all of space, even you, even me. And you see that sin working itself out in Malachi's day. The Israelite men were going out and marrying pagan wives and then worshiping the foreign gods that their wives worshipped. And then going back to the temple and offering sacrifices to God that God rejected and then crying out and just filling the altar with tears. Well, why, God, aren't you hearing us? Why aren't you answering our prayers? 
They'd broken faith with God. They pursued something that they wanted and then wanted God to still bless them for it, even though they had forsaken his beauty, his goodness, and his truth. Totally. And if that wasn't enough, it wasn't just that they were going off and marrying pagan wives. It's that they were divorcing their faithful Israelite wives for no good reason in order to do it. There's no indication here. In fact, the the implication is that they were divorcing the wives of the covenant, their original Israelite wives, for no good reason. Maybe they were irritated with them. Maybe they weren't making them happy enough. Maybe they were getting older, as people tend to do. And they decided to cast them off and go get a newer model, a better model, a more fun model, a more enticing model even if it meant they had to reject not just the wife of their youth, but the God who had been faithful to them. And what you see in this is how destructive sin is. We talk about sin, like, yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner. sinner." But, But we, I don't know that we really give credence to just how destructive and damaging and corrupting sin really is. What did God want from Israel? Godly offspring. Go, Israel, fill the earth with those who worship the name of the Lord and invite new worshipers in that will turn from their pagan gods and will worship the one true God. But Israel said, no, God, we don't want your purposes. We want to be satisfied in our marriages in whatever way we think best. And if we think Baal will give us that satisfaction. If we think Molech will give us that satisfaction, even if it means we have to offer our children on the altar of Molech in order to get the satisfaction we want, we're going to do that, God. That has societal implications. And if, if that wasn't enough, they're sending their spouses away. Like their own sin of pursuing... Pagan wives wasn't bad enough. They're destroying their their original wives and their children and their families. In this day and age, there was nowhere for this wife to go. She would likely go back to her father's household where she would be treated as little more than a servant. Well, if you couldn't make your marriage work, what good are you? It's not just that the sin has these huge societal impacts, it has these huge relational impacts. And it all springs from an idolatrous heart. These men decided the worship of foreign gods was more satisfying than the worship of Yahweh. And they only continued the worship of the one true God in a ritualistic, perfunctory sense, but their heart was not in it. Look, some of you have endured divorce. Some of you were on the receiving end of that. Some of you may have been the perpetrator in that. 
It doesn't matter. Even when divorce is, is the right thing to do, so to speak, the biblical thing to do, it's not good. It ruptures relationships. Study after study after study shows that the devastating effect it's had on children, on our society, on you. And I haven't spoken to anyone who's endured a divorce, who's looked forward to the next time they get to do that. It's horrific and horrible and devastating. It is what the reason God despises it, the reason he hates it, is because it is, it is this poster and illustration of the devastation that sin wreaks in the world. Why did, God, why did the law of Moses allow it? It was because of your hardness of heart. Why? But it, it's a consequence. It is an acknowledgement of the reality of, of sin and the brokenness of this world. There's no good way to go about it. And it ultimately damages, harms, and hurts the very worshipers God seeks to raise up in goodness, in beauty, and in truth. And what this shows us is the reason it's all gone wrong It's because love, unity, respect in marriage, and in fact in all relationships really, but especially in marriage, it's rooted in worship. Your love and your unity in your marriage, it's rooted in worship. Whatever it is, you happen to be worshiping. Whatever or whoever you worship, whatever or whoever is at the core of your heart, that is what shapes you most. And for the Israelites, it was the excitement of these pagan wives and the idolatrous worship that they enjoyed, which was often sexualized. They thought, that's much more fun and much more enticing, much more fulfilling in the worship of Yahweh. Whatever you worship shapes you, and it shapes your marriage. And so what God is saying to the people of Israel through Malachi, and what he's saying to us, is that the hope that we have that it will ever get better isn't in us. It has to be only, ever, always in the Lord. Why, though? Why does he keep letting us go about it all wrong? Why does he keep letting us marry flawed people? I want to ask my wife this all the time. Why? And her answer is, I wonder the same thing. Isn't that the problem? That we're all so deeply flawed. And there's something about marriage that brings out those flaws that you used to excuse or that nobody saw. There's something about having children that that shows so starkly how many shortcomings you really have. 
how weak and powerless you really are. Why would God not rescue us from this? Why would he not save us from this pain and turmoil and brokenness? Friends, that's, that's exactly what he does. We call on the name of a God who rescues. Of a God who rescues with such might and power that it cannot be explained away with worldly explanations. Because He doesn't just rescue us out of trouble. He rescues us so deeply and so powerful He can turn even our trouble for our good. He gives strength to the weary. He binds up the brokenhearted. He raises the dead. And He is able to renew and redeem and restore you even in the midst of your brokenness so that nobody who has eyes to see you can say, you, you, just, you are really smart and really powerful and you work this out on your own. It is all of God. This is why the word of hope he gives us at the very end. It's that you should guard yourselves in your spirits. Do not be faithful. Do not be faithless. There is in this an invitation. The same invitation that we've heard Malachi offer in every single passage. Draw near to God. Guard yourselves in your spirit against this idolatrous tendency, against sin, against pursuing your own aims and your own purposes, and draw near to the King of kings and the Lord of hosts and be shaped by Him. Guard yourself in your spirit against anything that would pull you away from Him. You might be restored to the right worship of the living God, and that He might grow you in His beauty, and His goodness, and His truth. And in that, do not be faithful. The first time he mentions it, he says, don't be faithless to the wife of your youth. Don't be faithless in your relationships. Don't be faithless in your relationship to your spouse. Don't be faithless in your relationship with your children, with your parents. Implications go far and wide. But what's interesting is he closes it just with the general term, don't be faithless. And almost everywhere else in the Old Testament that this phrase is used is talking about to God. That ultimately, your ability to be faithful in your marriage, to your children, to your parents, hinges on you being rightly restored to the living God. To look to Him in faith, to follow after Him in faithfulness, to worship Him and be shaped by Him. And what you will find is that even in a sinful and broken and miserable world, our gracious God invites even wicked sinners to draw near in Christ. He's still at work. He's still at work in the family, even your family, no matter how broken it may be. So what does that look like for you? We could spend a long time on this, and I'm prayerfully considering a series in the fall where we can do more of that. Just 
thinking about how you might live this out today. What does it look like? All of you aren't married. Some of you are single. And this has immense relevance to you. One, it tells you that marriage isn't going to make you happy. You think, you think it will, but it won't. It can't. You, you can't hinge your happiness on another person as flawed as you are. It doesn't work. But it also tells you that you're not less than a human being because you're single. Because God's aims and purposes in the household of faith, in the church, isn't to marry everybody off. Although that's a good and holy impulse. His purpose is to raise up worshipers. Be at work in you and through you to see His name glorified. And He has a high and holy calling for you in this holy family for good. Some of you are married. And maybe you need to be reminded that your marriage to your spouse is not God's way of making you fulfilled. You are married to your spouse to serve God for the sake of the other. This is the impulse. This is, this is what God reveals to us in His nature. That as Father, He gives to His Son. That the Son, when He came, He came to seek and to save the lost. And He gave His life as a ransom for many. He doesn't seek to gain, but He seeks to give and to serve and to look for the better of the other. And for too many people, we are in our marriages looking for what we can get out of it instead of what God is calling us to offer the other. How can I help you draw closer to Him? What is He doing in you? Where do I need to repent and die to my sin? Some of you are divorced. And you need to hear whether your divorce was biblical or not, that God, the God of the universe, He knows the pain that you endured. That's why He hates that. It's not what He made this world to be. That's not what He made you for. And His grace is sufficient even if it was because of your sin or the sin of another. You endured that pain. His grace is sufficient to heal you and to restore you to His good and holy purposes. Some of you have grown up in or are growing up in broken homes. You have been abused. You have been mistreated. You have been neglected. You have been lived through vicariously and rejected when you didn't measure up. And perhaps you need to hear that those wounds don't have to shape you. You don't have to live in reaction to your parents. The Father of all, Heavenly Father, 
the perfect father, invites you to come near, shaped and molded by him, to learn from his tender hand what it looks like to live a life of love, to live a life of beauty, to live a life of service, to live a life of worship. And he is able and willing to bring more and more healing to you as you draw closer and closer to Christ. Some of you have troubled marriages and you don't know what to do. I can tell you, waiting as long as you possibly can to seek help isn't a good solution. You can start, perhaps, with pointing the finger not at the other who is the cause of all of your misery. Ask, what is it in my own heart? Where are the idols in my life that I need to repent of? What would God teach me? How would God use me as an agent of healing and redemption and renewal and restoration, even in this troubled time? There are many here who would love to come alongside you in prayer and encouragement and support to just that end. For you parents, God desires godly offspring. Whether you are able to have children or not, here in the church we have the privilege of seeing many, even this morning as we celebrated graduating seniors, of seeing many come up through. And we all take these promises to help parents, to, to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We all have a calling to align ourselves with God's purposes in the life of every child. But how many of us as parents are working out our own purposes in the lives of our children. We want our kids to to do what we want them to do. We want them to to answer our needs. We want them to fulfill our expectations. And we aren't looking to see that their hearts draw near to Christ. And do we as a church Is the household of faith, the family of God, do we proclaim a word of redemption that says sin is awful, it is evil, and has pervaded everything, but our God is greater? He is at work. He is at work in you, and He's at work in me through Christ to bring good even out of brokenness, to bring beauty even out of sadness and grief. To bring His holy purposes to bear even in your family, through your family and ours. It's our church, a place where we proclaim and point to the grace and truth and purposes of our great King, the Lord Jesus Christ. God is at work. He's at work in you. He's at work in me. He is at work in our families even when it doesn't seem obvious. He's at work calling all of us to draw near to Jesus, to be shaped by Him, and to see Him work in and through us for His glory. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that You would be at work for these good purposes in Christ. We are not able to do this on our own. And so often our worship 
is idolatrous at best. Convict us, O Lord, of our sin. Convict us of our waywardness. Draw us near to you and show us how you are at work. And use us, O Lord, to be agents of renewal and healing in the lives of others. For the sake of Christ and for his glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.